Well, as Mark, my son, was sharing with me uh, later on this week, asking, is it possible that we could cancel, cancel Sunday uh, this week? And I thought, well, no, we can't cancel this Sunday, but next Sunday will be your last Sunday leading worship. I thought... But anyway, we're, we're excited about the opportunity to begin uh, getting ready for the new year by finishing off the, uh, the year 2019 together and, and thinking what God has for us. And I thought no, no better way to do that than look at this extended series in the book of Galatians and see what God has been speaking to us all about. You know, as you think about the Bible, the Bible has a lot of great things to, to tell us and to share with us about. And as you look at Galatians, Galatians has been described in so many different ways. Some people call it the Declaration of Independence for God's people. Some uh, call it uh, our, our, our plea for liberty. And there's uh, so much in this book that I uh, decided to, to have an extended series. And you're probably thinking, you know, I know we're in Galatians chapter 6, but I have no idea what was in Galatians chapter 1 because it's been so long ago that we looked at it. Well, this morning we're going to look at an overview of the entire book, but also we have about seven or eight verses that we haven't gotten to yet, so we'll try to hit that as well. So hopefully in the midst of all we do today, uh, this will really speak in your lives as we think about what God wants to do in us and through us for Him as we finish off this year and begin the new year. As uh, Mark was sharing about and wanting to possibly cancel this Sunday because of just uh, how busy the Christmas season is. You know, normally what senior pastors do, they, they, they look for four-day weekends and they, they delegate that to other people on staff. And also for the Sunday after Christmas, we usually delegate off, this, off that Sunday to someone else to preach. But I'm glad to be here because I'm looking forward to what God has to say to us. You know, as you look at the, the book of Galatians, Galatians is one of the earlier uh, New Testament letters written by the Apostle Paul. Some say as early as 49. Uh, and uh, right after Jesus uh, arrived on the scene, uh, what was it? What did we celebrate just recently? We celebrated um, Christmas, right? The birthday of Jesus. And one of the things we did at our home, we actually sang happy birthday to Jesus with our little ones. And as you think about that, um, he, just, he just started this whole movement to, to understand knowing God personally and deeply. But as we think about that, there are, there are so many ways for us to mess it up. Have you realized that it's, uh, it's easy to mess up your life? And if you don't mess up your life on your own, someone else messes it up for you. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. In fact, this is one of those kind of unique letters that he wrote because he didn't begin with kind words and end with kind words. I mean, he was angry almost for the entire letter. Because what they were messing with was messing with the message. And beyond all things, we don't want to miss what God has to say to us. And so Galatians was written to a group of people that were being um, influenced by others and messing with God's clear message of what it means to know Jesus and to live for him. And so we're going to try to see that today. And one of the reasons they, they were getting messed up is because they were bringing the old into the new. And Jesus had something to say about you know, mixing uh, stuff into old wineskins. And, and really, that's what they were doing. They were taking the law of the Old Testament and, and causing those who had come to faith in Christ to go back uh, to that which was a picture of what was to come, which was Jesus. Um, you know, there are a lot of laws. Uh, you probably are familiar. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament. Most of us have only tried to memorize maybe 10 of them called the, what are they called? The, the Ten Commandments. But there, there, are, there were additional ones written out. But, you know, uh, we have gone way past that in our culture. Um, do you know how many federal laws there are? In some ways, no one knows because there's so many. I was reading about that. And um, they were accumulating them for more than two, we've been accumulating for more than 200 years. When federal laws were in first codified in 1927, 
they fit into a single volume. By the 1980s, there were 50 volumes of more than 23,000 pages. In the Old Testament, there were 613 commandments. Uh, if you want to have an idea how many commandments that we have, uh, just in the Internal Revenue Service, we're, they, they, that was codified a little bit earlier in 1874, there is more than 3.4 million words related to our federal uh, income tax. Also, if you don't know this, or at least they have determined this as far as federal crimes, there are 4,450 laws on the books. And in case we don't think there's enough, uh, the average laws that are written by our Congress are, are 125 each new year. So whatever commandments, whatever laws we have now, we're getting more of them in our culture. And as, as Paul wrote in uh, to the the churches at Galatia, he was saying, look, if you think it's all about looking at external rules and regulations and thinks that's, what, that's the key to living as God wants you to live, you've missed it. And in fact, if anyone presents a gospel to you like this, might they be anathema, might they be cursed by the living God? Because what they're doing is not setting you free, but putting you in bondage. Now, in many ways, if you want to get a handle on a book, one of the ways to do that is to memorize key verses within the book. And as we began this series, we began with Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and I, I thought I would just bring people just randomly up here to quote verses that, that you've all memorized the last year. Y'all ready? <laughs> I don't have too many volunteers raising their hand, all right? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, yeah, remember this verse? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And really that is a challenge to us all because it's so easy to fall back and thinking that's all about somehow understanding the laws of God and if we just go after them with all of our heart, then that's, that's the key to living out the Christian life. Now, there's nothing wrong with God's laws, but if we think that we can do it through external uh, effort, we're going to miss it because it was, it was by the freedom of Christ through the Spirit of God that allows us to live out what He's called us to live. And what we want to see today, I want to kind of summarize the entire book, and then I want to look at it in the, uh, the last verses we have as Paul closes out this challenge for God's people. But if you were to divide this uh, book in, in ways that, that might give you a handle, you could, you look, at, you could look at this book, as, and we've said it as this, uh, that it, we are set free to be free. Uh, some, some, as they, they react to the message of Christ, they think, well, that, that's just going to cramp my style. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause me to live like I don't want to live. It's going to put me under a, a list of, again, of, of rules that I don't want to follow, and I have no idea how many things God wants me to do, so I'd, I'm not going to even go for it. But Jesus said, uh, if you know the truth, it will set you free. And, and so Jesus came to, to take us out of bondage, and allow us to live the life that God has always intended us to live. But as we think about the message of Christ, we can't earn it, but it doesn't mean that we we don't give any effort to it. And so we need to pursue God with all of our heart to live out his plan for our lives. Well, if you have your outline this morning, here's some things that might help you to kind of put it together. If if you were to divide the book of Galatians in thirds, you could put it this way, chapters 1 through 2, chapters 3 and 4, and chapters 5 and 6. And if you don't want to put the, the message of, of, the, of the, the little letter to Galatians and set free to be free, you could say it's all about the gospel, but it's the gospel of grace. It's God's gift to us. It's God giving us what we can't, 
receive on our own. It's God setting us free, God being good and kind to us. And, and so in this letter to these group of believers in these various churches in Galatia, the only place where he wrote to multiple churches in a designated way, you have the gospel of grace defended in chapters 1 through 2. You have the gospel of grace explained in chapters 3 and 4. And you have the gospel of grace applied in chapters 5 and 6. So this book is all about understanding God's message, God's good news, which can only be modified by the word grace. And, and we, need to, we need to defend it. We, we, need to, we need to explain it. And then we need to live it. We need to apply it to our lives. Another author put it this way, if you're going to look at it this way, you could look at the book of Galatians, all about liberty, freedom, and you have, to begin with, the authentication of liberty. Then you have the argumentation for liberty, and then you have the abdication of liberty. Now, part of uh, my challenge for my own life, and hopefully trying to encourage you as well, is that is, is you hide God's word in your heart and your mind. It goes wherever you go. And allows you to take God's principles and take them with you. Now, if you look at key verses throughout the book of Galatians, it, re- it really does give you God's plan for your life. As, as he spins this, first of all, the gospel of grace defended. He, he described this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in this way. He says, I, I've been crucified with Christ. Which simply means my, my old life, if I understand what it means to, to know God in person, my old life is now dead. If you get crucified, you're not going to be breathing for very long. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And, and, and the life which I now live in the flesh is earthsu. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So he's saying, I want you to understand that this message is realized you, you, have, you had an old life, but now you have a new life. And this new life is one in whom God dwells. You know, there's all kinds of definitions as far as what, what is a true Christian. A, a true Christian, one way to put it is, that's a person in whom Christ is living in. And that's what he said, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ is living in me. And so he defends the gospel against those who want to impart the law upon people's lives and say, well, you just do this, and that will demonstrate that you really have a relationship with God. And he said, no, it's about living with someone. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. In the next verse in Galatians 2, 21, he says this. He says, if... I, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through obedience to the law, then Christ died needlessly. And so again, he's making some radical statements for us to recognize it's it's really, really all about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus and living with Jesus and having Jesus influence everything about you and everything that you're called to do and to be. So that's, that's the gospel of grace defended. But then he goes on, the gospel of grace explained. And one of the things he says in Galatians chapter 3, I think it's chapter 3, not 4, but he says, I, I, there's this one thing I want to know about you. Now, whenever you hear people say that, there's just one thing on the test, there's one thing I want you to know, there was one thing I want to find out about you, it, it sounds like to me that's pretty important, right? Not the million things I want to know about you or the million things I want you to This one thing I want to know about you. Did you receive the Spirit through the works of the law or did you receive it through faith? 
And so again, as he begins to explain the gospel, he, he speaks so powerfully about how God has always brought people the same way. Some people look at this big book and it's pretty intimidating, isn't it? And depending upon you know, the, the size of print, the older I get, the, the larger print it has to be. And, and um, I don't have too many pictures in here, but I have some other things in this book. It, it's pretty big, isn't it? And so how do, how do I get a handle on all these words and all these pages? And sometimes we look that God must have been totally different in the Old Testament compared to how he is in the New Testament. God was a God of anger and wrath in the Old Testament. Now he's love and gracious and peace in the New Testament. And somehow they had to work their way to heaven in the Old Testament, they'd, but now we can, we can just receive it by faith. And as Paul explains the gospel, the good news, that, that which brings people in relation with God, he said, we haven't changed here. God has never changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he refers to Abraham. He said, you know, how, how did Abraham get right with God? Abraham believed God and was counted to him for what? Righteousness. And so he goes through this whole explanation of explaining. He said, look at uh, this because the law came afterwards. It didn't nullify the promise of God in the past. The law didn't come to after 430 years after Abraham. But he said, because Moses arrived on the scene, it didn't change God's one plan. We enter into a relationship with God by trusting in him, relying upon him, depending upon him, putting our faith in him. And so the question, well, then what was the law for? Well, the law had a, had a very pointed purpose. It, it was a tutor. It was a teacher. It was an instructor. It was to make it very clear that it isn't just a good idea that we might get right with God. is that we desperately need to. Because the law of God point out our sin, our desperate need for something and someone to deal with that which separates us from God. And, and, and what they were doing is that they were, they were substituting that which was a picture of what was to come or a shadow for what was to be the substance of God's plan, which was the Messiah, for that which was just to lead them to what was to come. Any of you had family over for Christmas? Shake your head like you're still listening to me, all right? Yeah, you, you had opportunity to be with people, and, and it, depending upon how, what, what the status of your family is, sometimes the, the, there are big people at your Christmas event, and sometimes there's what? Little people at your Christmas event. And we had the opportunity to have our grandchildren around a little bit, and uh, particularly our youngest grandchild, Jack, is with us, and he's, uh, he's going to be two in just uh, a few days, all right, in, in January. And um, he's now learning words. Remember that experience when, you, when your children just learn words? Or some of you are still learning words out there, I can see. But, you know, it, it, as, you, uh, as you get into that, you realize that it's just kind of fascinating for them to kind of pick up what's happening around them. And one of the things that, that little Jack can do, he can look at family photos, and he can start naming off the people in the photos. You know, there's, there's Daddy, there's Mommy, there's, you know, Aunt Mark, Aunt Mark no, Uncle Mark, and uh, Auntie Lori, you know. And he starts just naming off people. You know, what's interesting about that, you know, he, eventually he'll get to, to my names. There's Papa. That's now the, my adopted name, I guess, okay? And so, uh, you know, and he's just fascinated by being able to see the pictures of the people in his family. But, you know, as, as Papa now, that's part of my role here, is that how, how hurtful it would be if, if I were to come to Jack and say, do, do, do you want to play Jack? And he said, no, I just want to look at your picture. 
You know, I, I, just want, I just want to look at and stare at you. And see, that's what they began to do. They began looking back. And all they did was want to stare at the things that God was using to bring them to himself. And, and so Paul is just, just filled with, at times it seems like rage, but passion. That they might not go simply back to the picture but to the person. You know, we, we did spend elaborate time on looking at what Christmas is all about. And as we looked at John chapter 114, it was a, it was a passage in which we were just challenging people to recognize if you're really going to have more than a merry Christmas but a meaningful Christmas, then you need to realize that it's, it's about a person. You need to know the who of Christmas or you will, you will miss it. And the Advent candle was all about, and the word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Christ of Christmas? He's the word, the full expression of who God is. He's the only begotten one. He's the unique one. There is no one like him because he was God become man. He is the one who doesn't just have a little bit of grace. He's completely grace full of grace and truth. And so as we think about the, the message of the gospel, which is full of grace, we need to be not only defend it, but to explain it. What is the message of, of Christmas? What is the message of Christianity? Is that God loved us so much that he, he left heaven to become one of us. So we might not simply know about God, but we might know him. And he, he lived the perfect life. He set the example, but beyond that, what he did is he went to the cross. And that what separates us from him, our sin. He completely satisfied God's wrath against sin by receiving it for himself so that we could stand before God, not on our own merits, but on the merits of Christ. And that we could be completely forgiven not only from that which was wrong in our life, but that we might be given his righteousness and not our own. So Paul writes into them, he, he, he gives the gospel defended, and he responds that, look, I want you to understand that if you want an example of the gospel changes someone's life, just look at my life. I was like all of you. I, I, was, I, was, I was fervent for the law. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But then I encountered Jesus. My life was dramatically changed. You know, I, I wasn't indoctrinated. This was, this, was a, this, was, this was a God thing. And after I experienced Jesus, it was confirmed by the other apostles. But I want you to understand, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't about them. It was about Jesus. And we all struggle with wanting to go back to that which we used to be. And I even had to confront Peter. Peter, Peter the apostle, the leader of the apostles, and and he, he was making distinction between Jews and Gentiles. I look at I, I had to confront him in public and say, what are you doing? Because the gospel's all about Jesus. And then in chapters 3 to 4, he, he gave the illustration of Abraham, which I reviewed with you. But not only that, he talked about, look at it. I want you to understand, look, remember the two, uh, the two descendants, Ishmael and Isaac? I want you to understand that that's a, that's a metaphor. That's an allegory to realize, look at, there is a false faith and a true faith. 
And you need to know who, who you put your faith in. It's not simply having faith, but who do you believe in? And he spoke to them radically about, it's all again about Jesus. The gospel of grace defended, the, the gospel of grace explained, and then the gospel of grace applied. Because if we do know Jesus, then it's going to change who we are and change how we live. And, and then he speaks powerfully about, look, it's, it's a God thing. It's a spirit of God thing in your life. He said, for those who walk by the flesh shall not carry, those who walk by the spirit shall not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, now we all still struggle with our, our, uh, the sin that comes out because we go back to our old life. But he, but he just challenged us, look, if you want to have victory over your sin, because not, God not only wants us to experience being saved from the penalty of our sin, but the power of sin, those things that, that drag us down, the people around us. He says, again, it's not simply trying harder. It's, it's the idea of allowing the Spirit of God to live in and through you. For those who walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, shall not carry out the desires of the flesh. And he even lists them in case you're not quite sure what they're all about. And he says, in case you, I, the list is not long enough, it, it, and there are things just like this that you need to get away from. But we need to realize that God hasn't just told us to get away from things that are destructive. And, and if you've ever wondered about, you know, why does God not want us to sin? And for some of us, it's because he just simply told us not to. If God says it, that settles it. Well, that sometimes is motivating, sometimes it's not. But you need to realize that God doesn't want us to sin because sin is destructive. It's not only wrong, it's not only not right, but it's destructive. And he says, look, I, I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to destroy your own lives. I want you to recognize that I set you free. I want you to understand that I've given you a new life to live, that you can experience the abundance of life and not the destruction of life. But later on that book of Galatians, he says this. I want you to understand, okay, this is really what you really want, and I want to tell you how you can get it. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Anybody want to live around people like that? Anybody want to experience that in your own life? And see, this is the plea of Galatians, that, that this is a book of freedom, a freedom to be what you've always wanted to be. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be awesome. Byproduct of walking closely to the Spirit of God who lives within you, if you know Jesus, is that He's going to make you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good to the people around you, more gentle, all the things that we want. Have more self control. And you don't have to make a law for that. It's not probably listed in one of the 4,450 known laws that we have in our, in our United States because everyone wants that. So th- this is, this is the, the book of Galatians Revisited. What is it all about? It's, it's all about the gospel of grace, God's goodness, God's kindness to us, God giving us what we can't give ourselves. And in this book, he, in this little letter, he, he gives the gospel of grace and he, he defends it 
He explains it, and then he applies it. But there are a few other verses we haven't quite gotten to yet. So this is what we're going to end up with this morning. So let's look at it. Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 18. So you have your Bibles turned to it. I don't have the text written in your outline or on the screen. But look at Galatians 6, 11 through 18. And we're just going to look at a few very simple, straightforward points as we look at final words from Paul as he, as he pleads with them to experience what it means to be in Christ and experience him in a full and deep way. In Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 13, this is what he says to begin with. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So you see he's, kind of, he's starting to land that plane like most preachers and say, in conclusion, you know what that means when a preacher says in conclusion? Absolutely nothing, right? We're going to go on as long as we want. But what he says here, look, I, I want to understand that this is unusual. Normally, I don't write this. I, I dictate it to somebody else. And um, I, I kind of relate to that, not that I dictate cards or letters, but usually if I give a card to someone, they, they say, thanks so much for the card. I have no idea what you wrote on it because I can't read your writing, but, uh, you know, thanks for the card. And, and so Paul, I don't know if it's because he didn't like his writing or his eyesight was going blurry or, or it was hard for him to write and think at the same time, whatever it might be. But in this particular case, he was writing himself. And he was writing large letters, hopefully so they could read it, not say, well, this is probably good because it's from Paul, but I have no idea what he just wrote. It, it, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. He's using kind of coded language there. For those who, who want to look good, right, they're going to try to be persuasive. And, and really, there are people who tell us all kinds of things, but sometimes when people are t- telling us or trying to get us to do something, as soon as they give their pitch, we're going, no, this, they're just giving me a line here. I, I'm, I'm not going to go down that path. But there are some people that are pretty persuasive. And they're saying, look, if it was good in the Old Testament, it's probably good in the what? The New Testament. If it was good back then, it's probably good now. If that was God's mark of being one of his children, well, well why, would, why would that not be true today? Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, one of the reasons you can try to discern whether someone is um, you know, giving you something you need to hear and follow is, is check their motives, right? Why are they trying to get me to do this? Why are they trying to persuade me? And so Paul, in case they didn't quite discern that, said, let me tell you why they're trying to persuade you. Because they don't want to be persecuted. Now, um, in, our, in our culture for the last hundreds of years, uh, women particularly, I mean, there are men who do that as well, uh, they usually, sometimes you'll have, you'll have a necklace and there's a particular instrument on the necklace and it's, it's, got this, it's very simple. It's, it's a what? It's a cross. And it's become a part of our jewelry. It's been part of something we think is, is, is beautiful. Well, you know, when you really think about it, it's, it's kind of morbid because the cross was an instrument of what? Of death and torture. Why are you wearing a torturous little instrument on your neck or on a bracelet? And see, the reality here is that once you identify with Christ, you are going to be shot at from both, both ends. The Jewish people hated you because you were, you were calling them Messiah killers. And, and Paul was part of that throng. They went to, to imprison people who were following the cross and the one who was on the cross and went off the cross and rose from the dead. And so we don't want that from our own people, our Jewish 
family. And then even the Roman Empire came to that place where they persecuted those who were cross followers because what they didn't like about it is that Christians would say that Jesus is Lord, and they said, who was Lord? Caesar was Lord. And so look, at if I can get you circumcised, maybe take off your cross, not talk about your cross, that you won't be persecuted, but guess what? We won't be persecuted as well. And so we won't have a little bit of Jesus, and then we have a little bit of this is over here. And so what they were being, then reading one of the passages in this section, he goes, verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they, were, they can boast in your flesh. Basically, he was saying, look, they want you to obey one of these laws, circumcision, but they have no intent to obey all the other laws than in the Old Testament. And, and so what's really the message of, of Christ to us? In Christ, you're free to be genuine and not hypocritical. Now, that's kind of interesting because really in our day, probably the accusation for most of us who are Christ followers is they think that we are what? Hypocrites. Okay? We say one thing and do another. But can I just simply say this? When you are caught saying one thing and do another, just what? Just admit it. You know, you're right. <laughs> you know, there are times I am hypocritical. And I just want to let you know, when that is true, that's not what I want to be. You know, true hypocrisy is that when you do something hypocritical, you defend it. And so, we, we, you know, we can get rid of the fear that we, we don't always live it totally authentically. Because when we are really genuine when we, when we admit we mess up. Isn't that true? But what he was saying about them, he was saying, look, they can't be genuine because they're teaching you to do that which is wrong. Hopefully when you come to a place like this, whether this church or another church that teaches the Bible, they're trying to teach you, teach me and the rest of us to do what is right. We don't always do what is right, but we, we know the, where we ought to be headed. That, that's genuineness. When we go, this is true. This is what I want to be. I don't, I'm not always that way, but by the Spirit of God, I'm going to be better at tomorrow than I was today. And so Paul is saying, look it, I'm writing you with large letters to understand there are people out there who are going to try to lead you astray, but in Christ, you can be truly authentic and genuine. That makes sense? Then he goes on, again, he's trying to land this plane. I'm going to try to land this plane today as well. He goes on in verses 14 through 16, and he writes these words in large letters. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's, there's a whole bunch in that passage that I'll, I'll resist the temptation to, to, to speak long about. But what, what he does is, look, at, I, I want you to understand that those who kind of want to ignore the cross and what it means to be a Christ follower by, by recognizing that the cross is essential. And in Corinthians Paul wrote this, I want you to understand, to the Jews, the cross is foolishness, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, it's, it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block to the, to the Jewish people because that means they put their Messiah to death. For the, the Gentiles, it was, which basically means non-Jews, it's foolishness because, look, are you telling me that one man dying on the cross, a horrific death, that because of what he did, all the wrong that I've done has been put on him 
and that all my sins can be forgiven? That, that just sounds foolishness to me. And it is, whether it, it, unless it's true, right? If it's true, it's not foolish. But it sounds foolish. And, and so Paul's saying, look, at, to me, it's all about the cross. And I want you to understand, at, at the cross, not only were my sins forgiven, but I want you to understand that except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Which means it, it has radically changed me because now what the world calls important what is important to, the, to the, the culture I live in, the things that, that I used to desire to the deepest part of who I am, I now realize this world's just passing through. This world's not my home. And whatever I can enjoy in this world compared to what I'm going to enjoy in the next world, it's, it's, there's nothing to compare to it. I, I don't want to live in another passage in Galatians that says, look, you've been crucified to the flesh. In other words, your, your own fleshly desires, your own personal desires, th- they don't amount to what it used to because I want what God wants for me. It, it, they've been put to death. And, and, and you could put it this way, in Christ you're free to treasure the cross and not the world. And as we end 2019, and we just celebrated a season which we probably all gave each other more than we should have given each other. And we ate much. Did anybody eat more than you should have eaten this Christmas? We got a few hands up there, all right. Is that, look at, we don't have to treasure the world. I mean, we live in it and God gives us the freedom to, to enjoy it, but this is not what we live for. We live for that which is eternal, not temporal. Verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Well, what is he really saying? That you, you, you've become a new person, but not a perfect person. You know, circumcision was a mark, physical mark. that said, okay, you, you're now part of God's Jewish family. But that was, that was something external. And, and what are you saying here? Like, I want you to understand that you, you've become a new person on the inside. You're not a perfect person. But you're following someone who is perfect. And I want you to understand when, when you become a true child of God, what you get, verse 16, if you walk by this rule, really it's not that which is external that's important, but what's internal. You get God's peace and mercy. Peace, as Jesus says, it's not like the world gives. It's not the absence of conflict. I got an email last night, and one of our members, Beverly Rafferty, passed away. And her family is now going to process of setting up a time of remembrance, a service. And so on this, on this season in which we think about the life that Jesus came to give us, the reality is this world gives us death. But the peace that they have is that they know Beverly put, had put her faith in Jesus. And she's just passing from this life to a better life. And that's the peace. That no matter what happens around us, or maybe even in us, we have God with us. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? It's Emmanuel. God with us. And mercy, when we, we recognize that, that we are new people but not perfect people, is that, that God doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, grace is, 
not getting what you do deserve, which is God's judgment, mercy is, wait, grace is not getting what you, grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'm all mixed up right now. Mercy is not getting, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You, you do, do, we all deserve God's punishment, but we're not going to get it. Why? Because in Christ, he's merciful to us. And because he's merciful to us, we have peace. And then finally, in these last two verses, he says this, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. You know, Paul, as, as they were... <laughs> as he was debating with them about making that mark circumcision on, on people so they could somehow appease those who, who in the Jewish world wanted to go back to the picture rather than the person. He said, I want you to understand that I'm not saying that, that there aren't going to be ways to demonstrate your allegiance to Christ in, in ways that people can obviously see. I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 kind of toward the end of the chapter. He, he speaks about all the times because of his willing to take a stand for Christ that, that he took abuse from others, physical abuse, where he was, he was scourged 39 times and where he was left for dead and where he was shipwrecked and he had all the marks of being someone that was tortured because of his faith. He, he said, look, this, this being in Christ is awesome, but it's not always easy and there were some things he had to go through because he took a stand for Christ to be obedient to him. And we might not experience that, most of us, but we need to recognize that there are going to be times where we're going to have to say no when we want to say yes. There are going to be times where, where we have to sacrifice our desires for the desires of others. That we're going to serve when we're a little bit weary and tired and earlier in this same chapter, I believe, he says, let, let us not weary in doing good, for in due time, if we do not grow weary, we will reap what we are sowing. And, and so God wants us on, our, on the outside to demonstrate what's on the inside. And so he again ends with God's great provision, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is getting what you don't deserve, getting it right this time. May, may you experience that in its fullness. And Christ be with not the spirit, but your spirit. Because the Christian life is really all about who is living within you. Who is living your life out through you? And who are we living for as well as with? What's the book of Galatians all about? It's all about God's good news, the gospel. And it's that gospel of grace, which is us getting what we don't deserve. And we need to be able to defend it and explain it and apply it. And we need to do it because even as Paul ends his letter with amen, which is really the word for this is true. We don't believe this because it's wishful thinking. We don't believe this because we like the lights at Christmas time. It's not because the, 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 the story of the, the little baby in the manger is captivating. It's because it's true. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we saw his glory. Glory is that he only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Father, so what of uh, this message? It, it is all about grace. Us receiving what we don't deserve. And as we think about this morning, as we close out 2019, we, we don't, we don't want to leave this in some kind of mystery. Because when Jesus came, he came here with an invitation. Jesus came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To rescue us. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the Bible says all of us are lost. But we can be found. And our response to that invitation is to, to, to receive it. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe, trust in his name. And how do we do that? It is as simple as the ABCs, though it's not easy. It's, it's A, admitting our need and turning from that which is wrong in our life, which is our sin. It's B, believing, trusting in that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, who went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life and life forever in Christ Jesus, who went to the grave but rose from the grave, paying the penalty for our sins, but didn't stay there. And then see choosing. Choosing to commit to follow Jesus as our leader, our Lord, our God, the supreme being in our life, and to be the Savior, the rescuer of us from our sin. Well, I would even pray today that we would all admit our need and turn from our sin, believe in Jesus as, our, as the one who went to the cross for us, and commit, choose to follow him. And do it for the, either the very first time in a fresh new way to end this year and to look forward to the new year to be a Christ follower, fully devoted for Him. Help us to be that for you and for your sake and for your glory. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.